Right, in this session, we are looking at sanctification. In the last se session, we looked at justification. Before that, we looked at church history and what the New Testament says about assurance and then how the church, uh, church lowercase, moved away from assurance of salvation and then how it was regained uh, as part of church history. And then we moved into... Um, the basis, the foundation for what makes us right with God. Now we're looking at what happens at that time and beyond until we meet our maker, until a day of great judgment. We're going to talk about growth in the likeness of Jesus. There are many really, really good definitions of sanctification John Frame says that it's God's work to make us holy. Heath Lambert, a biblical counselor, says, Sanctification is the lifelong process in which Christians strive by divine grace to grow in Christ-likeness in their entire person. One of my favorite definitions comes from J.C. Ryle. He said that sanctification is that inward spiritual work which the Lord Jesus Christ works in a man by the Holy Spirit when he calls him to be a true believer. He not only washes him from his sins in his own blood, but he also separates him from his natural love of sin and the world, puts a new principle in his heart, and makes him practically godly in life. This morning, I would like to submit my definition of sanctification. Sanctification is the pursuit of supreme enjoyment of God and becoming more like Jesus by the Spirit's enabling provisions. It's the pursuit of supreme enjoyment of God and becoming more like Jesus by the Spirit's enabling provisions. Where do we get this? Well, in John 15, verses 8 through 11, we read, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In Romans 8.29, we read, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, becoming more like Jesus. By the Spirit's enabling provisions, we read in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.18, if you are led by the Spirit. And in Ephesians 1.3, we realize that we have every spiritual blessing available to us in Christ. And also in Hebrews 13.21, we read that the God of peace is equipping us to accomplish this growing work. It is a joy 
to grow in the likeness of Jesus. But as we do so, I believe that there are at least six traps to avoid in both defining and pursuing growth in the likeness of Jesus. The first of which is this. Avoid the trap of downplaying its importance. Avoid the trap of downplaying its importance. Again, J.C. Ryle says, Crude and strange opinions are floating in men's minds on some points of doctrine and among others on whether growth and grace, sanctification, is an essential part of holiness. By some it is totally denied. By others it is explained away and pared down to nothing. By thousands it is misunderstood and consequently neglected. In a day like this, it is useful to look fairly in the face the whole subject of Christian growth. Is it an important factor throughout Scripture? Yes. Romans 6.19, present your members as slaves to righteousness. Ephesians 4.17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Ephesians 4.22, put off your old self. 4.24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. Colossians 2, 6 through 7, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk, so live in him, rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith. Titus 2, 12 tells us that the grace of God has appeared, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Hebrews 2 or 12 rather, 12:14 strive for holiness. 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 2 Peter 3, 18, you're getting the point, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. One more, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, since we have such great promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. My dear friends, Scripture knows nothing of optional sanctification. Nothing. Scripture commands its priority in the life of faith. True believers will obey Philippians 2, 12, and 13. They will work out the faith, the salvation they've been given. For God gave the faith, gives currently the desire to grow in that faith, and provides the power to accomplish that which he commands. We must not downplay its importance in our lives. Number two. Avoid the trap of blurring the lines between position and 
practice. The lines between position and practice. Sometimes in Scripture, the word sanctification is used in seemingly confusing ways. For example, Acts 20, 32 says this, Now I commend to you, or commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Call to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In these cases, this term sanctification is used to indicate the believer's initial break with the love of sin. Other uses of the word can point to the continued action or practice to kill remaining sin and stir up a holy lifestyle by God's grace. And this is what we know as the already not yet paradox. In other words, the pursuit is as good as done, but it is still being accomplished. We are sanctified, we are set apart positionally, and we are being set apart. We are like Jesus, think for a moment, position, think justification, and we are becoming more like Jesus. Let's look at this slide. We must understand this, that practice cannot achieve position. Practice cannot achieve our position. However, our position ensures that we will practice. We will live out our faith. In fact, our position fuels our practice. Because of the great salvation we've been given, we want to grow in holiness. We want to grow in the likeness of Jesus. And here on earth, our practice to the, to the world indicates that we are, in fact, property of the Lord Most High. It indicates that we belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And on that day, when we will stand before the judge, our practice will affirm, yes, he is indeed a believer because of what Christ has done declaratively and the fruit that has been produced in their life. But we must not think for a moment that our practice can achieve our position. Practice validates, or sorry, practice firms, validates our position. The Lord Jesus Christ secures our position. By faith we take our place as children of the Most High. We were sanctified. This was done to us, and really to attempt to practice, to achieve position is a damnable 
and deceptive pursuit. It's an effort to be justified rather than prove that one is justified. Romans 3.20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Galatians 3, 2 through 3. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Romans 6, 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Praise God that our position fuels our practice and ensures that we will grow in the likeness of Jesus. Number three, we must avoid the trap of wrongly characterizing sanctification. Wrongly characterizing sanctification. Think for a moment with me about John 15, verses 8 through 11. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Growth happens in the realm of God's love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 1 John 5, verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, they are not painful. They are not agonizing. These are beautiful decrees. These are beautiful rules. These are beautiful precepts for our living. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we love God, we will view his precepts as blessings. And then we have this beautiful statement in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. That's the basis of our loving God. And our desire to live out his precepts unto his glory. Colossians 1, 9-11 says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Look at this, verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance with patience, with joy. God's love, that realm of God's love accompanied by his power and glorious might. Sanctification must never 
be reduced to an affectionless, I have to. It happens in the realm of God's love and power and his glorious might. We tend to treat sanctification as if God is so distant and has supplied us with absolutely no resources. This could not be farther from the truth. Our call to sanctified living is a joyous responsibility, fully supplied with all that is necessary to see its completion. It's entering the game, already having won, so we get to enjoy the journey without ever losing hope. So we must stop treating God, if we're guilty of this, stop treating God like he is a divine joy kill. For it is only in him that we can know the joy that will continue to blow our minds for all eternity. He came that we might have joy and have it to the full. His commandments are not burdensome. Number four, avoid the trap of method exclusivity. David Pallison answers well the question, is there one key or method to sanctification? He writes, we are all tempted to oversimplify. We long for one key truth, a secret principle the foolproof technique, some life-changing experience that makes everything different from now on. If only there were some one thing to make Christian growth certain. But there is no single key. Maybe you've heard some of these just-do-this methods for Christian growth. Just remember that God is sovereign and is working all things for your good. Just remind yourself of your identity in Christ. Just find an accountability partner. Just access the means of grace. It's about Bible intake. It's about prayer. It's about fellowship with God's people. Just spiritually fight. You just got to fight against the enemy who wants to make you less effective for the kingdom. Or how about this one? Just get busy serving him, serving others. Get outside of yourself. Just remember your position as a child of God, knowing that you have been forgiven of all your sin. Just ask the Lord to grant you to keep in step with the Spirit. Just start thinking eternally. Stop thinking solely about your earthly problems. Now, not one of those statements is heretical. We actually need each and every one of these things. They are collectively tools in a fully stocked spiritual toolbox but we can tend to use them and push them out to others as independent magic cure-all pills almost like i love you this much so i'm going to give you a little tidbit now get out of my life go deal with it i don't have time 
We need all of these things. We need to view them as a tapestry of resources. Pallison says, not one of these methods will end the struggle. Not even all of them put together. They speak in different ways to how we struggle. And the Lord makes different truths meaningful at different times to different people. So maybe you've tried one of these methods for a long time and you're like, I'm making no progress. Well, maybe it's time to view the collection instead of settling on one of those methods. There's variety in God's resourcing. All of these methods find root in Scripture, but we must be careful not to take them out of their biblical context. And here's why. The very context that these methods find themselves in provide us invaluable information to help us gain lasting traction concerning how we are supposed to apply the principles and methods given. There's a reason principles are typically embedded in story. The details are helpful to our growth, just as are the principles. Number five, avoid the trap of comparison. Ouch. God, why am I not growing as fast as he is? Why? God, why am I not growing as deeply as she is? What am I doing wrong? God, why, do, why does he get to grow in that area while I'm stuck over here? God, don't you know that she's probably only growing for others to see her and praise her? Don't you see that? Judgment? Let me ask this question. Is God not the God of your sanctification? of your growth in the likeness of Jesus. Instead of comparing ourselves as we strive to grow in the likeness of Jesus, let us learn to praise God for others' progress in the faith. Celebrate with them. Hallelujah that you have matured in this area by God's mighty grace. Praise be to him. And as you celebrate that, as you praise God for their progress, imitate what you can of those who are joyfully obeying the Lord. When I look at your life and I see your growth, what is it that I might need to imitate? Not so that I look more like you, but so I look more like Jesus. We have to run our race. Run your race. Race. We simply do not have time to play the comparison game. Life is truly a vapor. It's a weight. If we do this, it's a weight that will keep us from a vigorous pursuit of the likeness of Jesus. Run your race. Grow where you are. And also run your race with other runners. Run your race hand in hand with 
other runners. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Someone say amen. We don't have time for the comparison game. Number six, avoid the trap of coasting. I'm not really growing, just kind of coasting, just kind of stagnant. Jerry Bridges writes, growth in godly character is progressive and always unfinished and is absolutely necessary for spiritual survival. If we are not growing in godly character, we are regressing. In the spiritual life, we never stand still. We never stand still. Scripture is absolutely void of any prescription for growing in the likeness of Jesus by means of settling on past effort. The author of Hebrews points in this direction and warning his audience with these words. For though by this time, in Hebrews 5, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And it's here that we see movement toward forgetting truth and thus exhibiting a decrease in ability to distinguish good from evil. Brothers and sisters, Romans 6 tells us, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of for righteousness. In verse 16 of chapter 6, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Growth is always occurring. It's simply a matter of which way we're growing. Are we growing toward the likeness of Jesus or toward the likeness of the flesh? Let us think again of these six points very quickly. We must avoid the trap of downplaying its importance. 
We must avoid the trap of blurring the lines of position and practice. We must avoid the trap of wrongly characterizing sanctification. We must avoid the trap of method exclusivity. We must avoid the trap of comparison. And we must avoid the trap of coasting. Well, look, there are three things we need to learn to treasure. Three ways to treasure God. Three things to treasure while pursuing the likeness of Jesus. Number one, treasure God's promise of conformity. His promise. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Jude. Verses 24 and 25, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Ephesians 1, 4, we were selected, we were chosen in the Lord before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined To be conformed to the image of his son. True believers will be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. This is something that we must speak to ourselves in times of failure. In times of emotional wavering. In times of of doubt. Our God is faithful. He does not lie. He will complete whatever he begins. We could even put it this way, that God glorifies himself by granting faith, by growing faith, by completing that growth in faith, and then by rewarding that faith. God is powerfully working in us to accomplish this work, this command to become like Jesus. And in all these things, our great God is proving his righteous jealousy for his glory. He is doing this for his great name, and rightly so. There is a promise to us as believers that God who called us He will surely accomplish it. Number two, we must treasure God's presence while growing. We must treasure God's 
presence while growing. One man of God, Michael Reeves, has been credited with saying, prayer is not an abstract activity. It's not something that happens outside of relationship with the Lord. I would submit to you that neither is sanctification. John 15, 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Back to John 15, verses 8 through 11. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my loving presence. It is so tempting to treat sanctification as an activity to acquire the presence of God. But the reality for the believer is that growth happens as a result of Trinity power indwelling them, empowering them to accomplish that which is required. Let us consider Romans 8, 9-11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 1 John 4.4, little children, you are from God have overcome them, for he, the Holy Spirit, who is in you, is greater than he who is in the world. Colossians 1.27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this majesty, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Ephesians 3.17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love. Friends, could it be that our efforts to grow in the likeness of Jesus are often stifled because we fail to recognize and realize the Lord's power and presence in us? Are we weakened in our efforts by not employing his presence to empower and guide and protect and complete the growth process? What have we attempted to do in our own strength without relying 
on the presence of our gracious Lord. Sanctification is not an abstract activity. God is powerfully at work in us and powerfully at work with us. So may our prayer from now on be, Lord, help me abide in you that I might grow in holiness. For I understand that apart from you, I can do nothing. And if we think in terms of this Old Testament exile scene in which the Lord is commanding his people to leave Babylonian captivity, we see this picture of God's presence in Isaiah chapter 52, verses 11 through 12. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out in haste, to mean as those who are afraid of failure, but those rather who have great confidence. Don't go out in haste. Have great confidence. And you shall not go in flight, for the Lord himself will go before you. And the God of Israel will be your rear guard. As God works powerfully in us to help us accomplish the growth he requires, his presence should give us confidence. Our God goes before us, behind us. He is in us, and he will lead us to the land of eternal joy in the Lord. There is nothing to fear. There is nothing to fear. We must wring ourselves out daily in this work because God is powerfully at work. We are bound for the promised land and not even hell itself can stop us. There's no progress without abiding. Abiding is passive and active. James 1 21 tells this, and I paraphrase, that we must put away all wickedness and continually receive the implanted word or the truth that was placed in us at the time of conversion. Continually feast on this, this gift that you've been given, and continually put off wickedness and put on that which is right, knowing that there is a day of judgment coming. And that day of judgment for those who truly believe is a great day of affirmation. Look what God has done in you. And it will be rewarded. And we will sing praises to God forevermore. Not because of our own power and our own strength, but because God worked in us powerfully that which he requires. Like Peter in John 6, brother, let us say daily in our pursuit, Lord, to whom shall we go? You, you alone have the words of eternal life. Help me not turn to the left or to the right. Help me not look for earthly comfort and earthly prosperity. I just want 
Jesus. And on the basis of that craving, help me grow. Help me put to death that which is wicked in me. Number three, we must treasure God's provisions for growth. Treasure God's provisions for growth. We talk a lot around here about the three-legged stool, the word of God by which we know him more intimately and live, learn to live in light of who he is and help others to do the same. We talk a lot about prayer, that we might draw nourishment by communing with the Lord and asking for others to be nourished we, we talk a lot about fellowship with God's people that we may gain stability through encouragement and admonishment by fellow believers and help others do the same. Praise God for these foundational and staple-like provisions. But have we ever considered or have we deeply considered some of these other types of provisions or perhaps life context in which God is seeking to grow us. James 1, 2 through 4 just kind of puts a blanket statement out there. Various trials. God is doing something with various trials. Maturing you. Do we think of our Lord's discipline as an act of his love helping us grow in the likeness of Jesus? Do we consider our enemies to be a provision of the Lord to help us grow in the likeness of Jesus? Do we understand the continual forgiveness that is available to us in Christ if we confess our sin? He is faithful and just to forgive us continually. What about the context of singleness? Have we just been viewing our singleness as reason to mope and feel that God doesn't care about our growth? Or are we capitalizing on that context, that circumstance, saying this is where I am in life and God wants me to grow in the likeness of Jesus right here? What about our marriage? What about the area of evangelism? God grows our faith significantly as we reach out to others with the gospel message. What about how we view our physical weakness? Maybe our own physical weakness. Maybe the physical weakness of a loved one. Are we seeing these things rightly? These are not hindrances to our growth. These are opportunities to grow and flourish more and more and more. Even material wealth or poverty or perhaps stress at work. All of these things, wherever we find ourselves in life, God is providing that very opportunity to put off that which belongs to the old man, and to put on that which is righteous, that which we have positionally in Christ. And so when all is said 
and done. God commands us to pursue the likeness of Jesus. God promises to complete our pursuit. God is even going to reward our pursuit. And in all of this, God is forever glorified. Sanctification is a beautiful, beautiful endeavor. Again, I pray this stays with you. Sanctification is the pursuit of supreme enjoyment of God and becoming more like Jesus by the Spirit's enabling provisions. And this is to be a lifelong, active pursuit, a daily pursuit, a never-gets-old pursuit and shouldn't-want-less pursuit. John 15, 8, once more, 8 through 11. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Friends, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Growth in the Lord is not a drudgery. It's a glorious privilege. Amen? Let us pray. Father, help us treasure Christ. Father, help us treasure the promise of conformity. Oh, help us treasure the presence of the Lord in us. Help us treasure every circumstance of life knowing that you truly are working all things to make us more like your son. Oh, Father, may we never downplay this work. May we see it for what it is. It is not burdensome. It is glorious. It is glorious. So, Father, help us be about this work not in our own strength, but in the strength you provide. You call us to work out our salvation, the gift that we've been given, fear and trembling, knowing that you are at work within us, giving us the desire to be more like Jesus and giving us the ability to become more like Jesus. May this be so. And may we enter into joy eternal confidently, confidently, joyously. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.